Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. I'm Karst Sestouli, and this is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is uh, a prospect analyst in the electronic pages of Fangraphs, uh, proprietor or co-proprietor of Scouting the Sally. His name is Mike Newman, and he's helping me do the introduction. Mike Newman, you're there. Yes, this is uh, Mike Newman. I'm here hanging out with Carson for an hour or so doing the Prospect Podcast, talking about prospects, obviously, along with our wives, which may get us in some trouble, and also my um, enjoyment in breaking down deer. Yeah, that's gross. Now, Mike, the the one thing I'll tell uh, listeners sometimes is I'll say, we talk about specific prospects and then also the issues which those prospects raise. In this case, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, we talk about, uh, I think, Braves outfielder Todd Cunningham, his his potential future uh, Astros outfield outfield prospect Ariel Ovando Yankees prospect uh, Tyler Austin oh yeah sure and then and then do you remember the fourth one another New York pro, another New York prospect oh and uh, Mets third base prospect Adderline Rodriguez and that was a surprise I surprised you with that one and I think you quitted yourself nicely thank you very much I appreciate uh, okay that. all right well this this is the end of the introduction I'm about to introduce people to the show that has been. Uh, that is Mike Newman. He, you're about to hear him, a lot more of him, believe me. And he's going to talk about prospects. Uh, so that's how I say him. This is Fangraphs Audio. That's Mike Newman. It's going to start. Uh, and it begins right now. Are you going to say something dirty? No, no, I have to. Uh, um, I have to switch phones. I realize my cordless about is about dead. So if you yeah, that's fine. Whatever you got to do. If you want the podcast to die at like the ten minute mark, it might be better that way. But well, I think it'll die anyway. But this would just be an an inaudible death. Inaudible. Yeah. Hold on one sec. Let me just switch phones. So. All right. Let me run back downstairs to my office. We're good to go. Okay. We're doing it. Yeah, you doing all right, man? I'm all right. How are you? Busy. What are you busy? Uh, Friday is this is your day. Well, wait. Do you always work from home? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Work from home every day. Yeah. So I was behind on a uh, on my fangraphs pieces this week, so I had to get one done this morning, and got one done yesterday, and had the chat yesterday, and the podcast today, and. Trying to work in between. This is a place to relax, Newman. It's now, amazing. Now you, you'd think that the uh, you'd think that my job was fangraphs and my actual day job was like the side gig. Right, but well, I mean, one uh, you know, one is uh, you probably think more about prospects than you do your job. I try. What are your What are your You got what? Three kids, right? Yeah, three. You like their chances of? Uh, I mean, how would you project them? As baseball players? Yeah. Well, I have two daughters. Okay. So those are kind of eliminated, but my oldest daughter is probably going to be a hell of a, uh, an athlete in some capacity. Yeah? Um, yeah, I mean, she's the most athletic in the family, and she whoops on my son. That's fun to watch, I bet. Who's a couple years older. Like, oh, that's she great. She whoops on him good. And, uh, my... What do you do? Wait, can I ask you? Let's stop. Yeah. I want to explore that. What, as a parent... You must take some pleasure in seeing that on the one hand, but also you cannot really condone too much violence in the house. Well, you know, last night, 
I was getting my, my daughter cleaned up. Yeah. And she was just, like, telling me about how someday she's going to marry a boy and stuff like that. Yeah. And, Okay. It, it kind of, I, I took some solace in the fact that she can kind of protect herself and would, you know, with her ability to whoop on her brother, Yeah. she is learning quite well to defend herself in a number of different situations and actually, like, attack if need be. Right. So, um, so I feel comfort in that. Um, but then again, on the opposite end of the spectrum, you, you know, wish your son could handle himself a little bit better. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, you know, some of us are lovers, not fighters. Yeah, yeah. My son dressed up as a vampire for Halloween because one of his little uh, girlfriends in kindergarten yeah. and him play uh, vampires on the playground. Uh-oh. So he was trying to impress her, and he had to have just the right set of vampire teeth because when he went out trick-or-treating, he said he wanted to go out and impress the ladies. That's there you go. That's no, what we're looking five. for. He's yeah. five, so we're in big trouble. You are. Yeah. Very big trouble. Yeah, if it's already starting. Yes, it is starting. God, Mike Newman. Trying to trying to raise a family, trying to write about prospects. And trying to work. Trying to do a job. Trying to yeah, yes. trying to make that paper. Any it's job a, made but very this little is, bit of paper. This is for you though, Newman, I want you to feel at ease. Okay? Fangraphs audio for you is a space. <clears throat> where you can relax and, and listen to a host who's got crackers stuck in his throat. Oh, man. <clears throat> oh. Yeah. Podcasting 101. Eat for the podcast. Well, it's one, one cracker to another right there. And don't, yes, yes, definitely. And uh, keep away from the saltines. Yeah. No, these actually are a type of cracker. <clears throat> it's an Armenian sort of cracker, it's like a flat. I don't really know much. It's a sesame cracker, I guess, but it's, they're very good. But I think maybe I got a couple of sesame seeds stuck in my throat. Anyway, what I was trying to make clear to you, Newman, is this is a nice space for you. We're going to talk about prospects. We're going to talk about life, you know, and um, it's going to be fun. It's it's fun. We got listeners here. We I don't know how many, but we do. We it's do OK. Fun. We do OK yeah. with the listeners. They're here. They're probably, I don't know where they are. Maybe they're jogging. Uh, so, you know, good for them. Maybe some be. of them are at work. They have a sort of like a maybe a sort of data entry type job or, or something where they can be working on one thing but also listen to a podcast at the same time. This maybe is they're the, on dates with their uh, boring girlfriends and have just like an earpiece in one ear listening to our podcast so they can just Well, listen, I don't support out. that. I will tell you right now, Girlfriend? I don't support that. I say, th this is what I have to say about that. If you need to do that, you either need to address that issue in the relationship you need to you need to address that head on because it's it's not doing you any good and it's not doing that that lady any good okay or who or whomever your you know, the, the the companion is it's not good for you you need to address that or resolve it in another way which is to say you know uh, I think we could be going it could be going another way now if it is a spouse um, then I understand because uh, okay. spouse, well, at least we're on the same page there. Spouses, um, I mean, it's, being married is about getting tired of the other person, and then, um, and then responding, and then responding to that. I mean, yeah, people, uh, marriage is an exercise in in fatigue, really. 
It is. It is. You know, my, my wife and I are, are battling right now over whether to actually go out on, like, a date tomorrow night. Right. Yeah. And, like, go to dinner and a movie. Like, when you're single, you love the idea of going to, like, dinner and a movie and hanging out and stuff Probably like that. Probably. But now you just sounds you're like, oh, that's kind of late. Yeah. Now it's like, oh, a 10 o'clock movie? Like, you know, we're both going to fall asleep right. and right. it's going to be a waste of money and why bother going and paying a babysitter? It's just... It's right. just never ending. Right. Yeah. Now I hear that. The dinner part, maybe. Maybe the dinner part. That's a, that sounds nice. You could that way you don't have to make dinner. Uh, maybe there's yeah. a nice restaurant around you. I don't and know. if you're stuffing your face, you don't have to worry about like making conversation. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I actually, I use, I. It's actually for me that part has gotten better uh, with my wife. Uh, we actually, I, I used to be afraid. Just to sit down, the two of us, one on one, to have and, ha- and have a conversation or like have a drink together. I, mm-hmm. I don't know why. Um, I really like working near her. We would go out to cafes or bars and do you know read or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But now, now I actually, uh, um, I don't know what of what value this is, but I, I actually do enjoy having conversations with her. Well, that's good. Yeah, that just means it's built to last. It's getting better. It's getting better. I mean, there are infinite number of other. Um, flaws that i've been able to identify in her and she me she me yeah well the one thing that i need need help with is figuring out a way to get my wife to um make it through like a baseball game Mm. uh right now it's if i flip on a game while like she's getting the kids cleaned up for bed and i sneak in 15 minutes yeah i hear her like get to the top of the stairs come down like three stairs yeah she sees the Uh baseball game out of the corner of her eye yeah turns around and goes back into our room. Ooh. Yeah. It, it Baseball is just... Like kryptonite for her. Yeah, it is It is like kryptonite. Oh, that's... Uh, yeah. The least interesting thing in the entire world to her. Well, that's... And that's... Uh, a bit, uh, uh, after presidential elections. Right. Now, well, let me ask you this. What about live, the live version of the game? Um, She will go yeah. as long as she is able to hit the snack bars and have, like, whatever she wants. Oh, that's all right. That sounds fine. It's like a tax. It's like a baseball tax. Yeah, but that's fine. I mean, that's part of the, that's part of yeah. the ballpark experience. That's okay. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't care. And for me, I mean, it's like, you know, leave the radar gun at home, leave the camera at home. Yeah. Like, I have to make promises that I won't yeah, but that, yeah, do but that makes sense. work right. during the game. Right. You have, you so, have, I'm sure you have opinions, though. You develop opinions about certain players. Yeah, I mean, if I get to pay attention. Right. Well, you know, it's a battle. Everything's a battle. Love, I believe, uh, I believe, um, who was it? Eckhart Tolle said, love is a battlefield. Is that, is that Eckhart Tolle? Um, was it Eric Fromm who said, love is a battlefield? Isn't that, isn't that like a song or something? Might have been Pat Benatar, now that you mention it. Yes. Might have actually just been Pat Benatar who said, love is a battlefield. Yes. She, I get those she is. She is quite the um, intelligent person. Yeah. Let me uh, – um, this is not really a great segue, but uh, here's the here's the thing. Before this episode of Fangraphs Audio is over, we need to have addressed, addressed some prospect-type topics. So we're going to do that. And so I just – I'm going to say let's start doing it and see what happens. Sure. You uh, – all right. So I, I, I saw this uh, from you in tweet form. As you were constructing 
you're, you, you have, of course, been uh, submitting uh, for the uh, wide readership um, for their pleasure and their consideration. You've been submitting your Newman's own lists. Yes. There's two things I like about these lists. I'll tell you that right now. I don't know if I've actually mentioned this to you. This is a borderline like comment. Eight com- things you don't like. Well, yeah, maybe, yeah, sure. But okay. these, this is a borderline comment, so watch out. Two things I like. One is you don't have the same number of players on each list. I like that. I like that you're like, listen, some lists need to be longer, some need to be shorter. Some positions are more deep, some positions are less deep. I like that, Mike Newman. So accept that compliment. Thank you. Here's the second one. Oh, maybe there's only one. No, here's the, here's the second one. Um, <laughs> here's the second one. I like that it's composed just of players you saw. I like that. You're like, listen, I'm a man and I have limits, and I'm profoundly aware of them. That's what you're essentially announcing by doing that, and I also like that. So there you go. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Now, as you were constructing this list of corner outfielders, though, I saw that you were dealing with an issue, and I think that that issue had to do with something I'm sure that we've addressed at some at some level, uh, you and I, something I've probably ta- I'm sure I've talked about with Mark Hewlett, and it has to do with this idea of floor versus ceiling and then how that relates to constructing a list, constructing an idea about a prospect. I think you and I have probably talked about it because I'm sure I've made you discuss at some point Corbin Joseph, a, yeah. uh, a second baseman, quote-unquote, perhaps, in the Yankee system. We discussed him and what his value might be. But you came across that same theme, um, and I think it's some in some abundance when you were putting together your corner outfielder list. Yeah, you know, I found that this list was much harder to do than the other ones because, first off, it's 18 players. And no list has been this long yet. And, you know, essentially it's part like the the 1 through 18 is more or less if you made me pick who I'd rather have. It's not so much like a typical prospect list. It's if you were building a team – which one would you want first, second, third, all the way through 18, and why? Although, so, let, let me interject. I would say that's not necessarily the worst way to construct a prospect list, right? I mean, that, the, that, that's an interesting what thing. I think that's an interesting exercise. I mean, not not for me. I mean, what winds up happening is that, you know, scouts go to ballparks, and they write up players, and there are different labels. I mean, there are non-prospects. There are guys that are marked to choir. Uh, there are guys that are marked, you know, organizational players. And organizational players do have some value in the actual world of baseball. So, you know, in working through the list this way, it kind of helps me to just think about what I want in a player and why. And I often wind up surprising myself a little bit because when I first started, I was all about ceiling. I mean, if you gave me um, a bunch of 16, 17-year-old Dominican kids that signed for $2 million a pop, I would be happy to rank them all first and stuff like that. And then I started going to games and seeing players and talking to scouts. And what I've learned is that, you know, scouts value big leaguers of many shapes and forms. And the fact that for example, Todd Cunningham is a double-A center fielder who uh, has a lot of skills, not a ton of tools, but profiles as a quality fourth outfielder. That has value. 
where a guy ranked below him, like Ariel Ovando with the Houston Astros, is such a wild card that if you put both of them next to each other and said, here, choose one, um, for me, I'd probably take Cunningham because at least I know what I'm going to get there. So unless I'm really confident that a guy's going to have a high enough ceiling that it's completely worth the risk of sacrificing a big leaguer, you know, I'm not going to go that route. So it wound up it wound up being a pretty difficult exercise, especially with this list. Okay, and so uh, let's let's talk about Cunningham for a second. Um, from what I know of him, uh, because I think he also uh, played pretty well, or he's he's I I, re- I saw him recently because I think he got off to a good start in the Dominican Winter League. Does that sound like a possibility? It's a possibility. Or maybe it was the Venezuelan League. Yeah, maybe the Dominican, maybe Mexican Pacific League. In fact, I'm almost positive it's the Mexican Pacific League now that I say it. You can keep checking it. I'll keep talking. Okay. I came across Todd Todd Cunningham in the Mexican, uh, I believe in the, uh, he was among the scout leaders, scout batting leaders, the Mexican Pacific League, which is interesting in itself because of all the Caribbean Winter Leagues, right? The Mexican Pacific League is mostly, has like sort of the highest volume of uh, sort of older uh, older guys, first base types, and, and of course it has a lot of Mexican players, of course, and, and guys yeah. who are playing winter ball from the Mexican, uh, from the, the sort of summer Mexican league. Yes, and you are correct, actually. He plays for the Naranjeros de Hermosillo. Right, and I think it's clear from, uh, from your pronunciation that you are half Mexican. Close. Yeah. <laughs> half Jewish. Half Jewish, right. <laughs> but, you know, right. I guess it's the same planet. Yeah, yeah, there you go. You have that in common, at least. Well, we're all we're all one people. Am I right? Yes. Am I right? Yes. I mean, I, I, if, if Bono says it, I'd believe it. The uh, the thing about this is I look to Todd Cunningham, and I see here – I see here essentially a, a couple um, – I saw in that player um, – Two other players who've played for the Braves recently. That, those are the two comps that came closest to mind, and that was Jose Costanza and and Matt Young. Matt Young played some second base. Matt uh, Young's with, interesting. Yeah, that's uh, an interesting comp there. Um, but it's because you have these guys who, uh, in maybe particularly Young, great um, great plate discipline numbers, very little power, but could probably you know have stolen thirty bases or thereabouts, maybe twenty more like twenty bases in the minor leagues, and mm-hmm. could kind of do everything. None of it very well, but if that's your fourth outfielder and he's a, and he's a switch hitter, that's good news. Yes, I mean those are guys, and I think I've talked about this before that you want to have in your organization in case somebody gets hurt. Um, for me, having seen Matt Young play at AAA and seeing Costanza play at AAA, um, there are a couple things going on. First, Costanza was considered an absolutely horrific outfielder, like even for a left fielder. So that always kind of kept him as more of a quad A type of guy. Um, I don't think anybody thought that when he did come up with the Braves that he would have any real success whatsoever. So uh, that more or less came out of left field. Um, uh, no pun. Is that a pun? Was that a pun? No, I'm not smart enough to do puns. You should. Well, not you you just did one accidentally. Yeah. Well, in the chat yesterday, yeah. somebody put put a gun to your head, and I responded that's a loaded question oh. and everybody went hardy har har and i was like yeah you guys give me way too much credit here yeah that's funny good, that's like, good, though, too. good though too uh costanza and and matt young I mean, 
pretty much the same types of guys. Uh, the thing with Matt Young is that he's 30. Well, Costanza's almost 30 as well. But those guys are org guys that, that stick around forever. And for, you know, Costanza, I mean, his first taste of, of double A was 2009, which would make him uh, 26. And Matt Young, I'd imagine, was the same. And there's a very different feeling between a guy who hits double A at 26 and a guy who hits double A at 23, uh, which is the age I think that uh, Cunningham did. Yeah. So you could probably project Cunningham a little bit better, although I don't think there's a huge projection. Um, what I liked about Cunningham the first time that I saw him was that he was a very good baseball player. And I know that's totally cliche, yeah. but he was a guy that really knew how to handle the bat, work counts. You could tell that there was a nice floor there of a guy that would probably make the big leagues. And, and even when he wasn't producing in 2010 after being drafted, I had conversations with scouts that said, yeah, he, he's probably going to be a, a pretty good fourth outfielder. And But nobody knew where he was going to play defense because he was drafted as a guy they were going to try at second base, and then I think they tried him at third base, and then they tried him in an outfield spot, and he had no home. So everybody was kind of up in the air of what he could do defensively. But this year he spent the whole year playing center field. And if he plays a whole year in double-A playing center field, I have to assume that he could handle left and right at, at the big league level and potentially center field at a pinch at the big league level. And for me, that's plenty to have a guy be a, a fourth outfielder. And then you look at a guy who can run a little bit, doesn't strike out, will work deep at bats, and I wouldn't mind playing him a, a couple times a week when somebody needs a rest. Right, that's a valuable player because then you're well. Two things are going on, right? Your drop off when you replace that starter, the drop in value is not is not huge, right? I mean, you're going to have someone who's probably going to play at a, at a above a replacement level level, just to use the word level consecutive times. So that's yeah. that's one thing, and then the other thing, and um, I think this relates to something we might talk about in a second. We might talk about it a little later on. We might forget to talk about it entirely. But that has to do with roster construction uh, and has to do with um, a piece Dave Cameron wrote this last week um, with regard to Irvin Santana and overpaying um, and filling out rosters, et cetera. So you're, you're paying him $500,000 and, mm-hmm. and you're getting that, that production that's above a replacement level. So there's a couple things. And even at replacement level, minimum salary is pretty decent. There are, sure, there are which, lots of guys that make a couple million bucks a year that don't really perform at replacement level. Right, and one of them in Delman Young might might be the recipient of a multi-year contract this offseason. At least that, yes, that's maybe. what the uh, contract crowdsourcing uh, reports suggest. Um, and uh, we'll see. I mean, it only takes one organization, I guess, to to sign him to that sort of deal. Absolutely. Um, but you're right. But you look at but you you have a player like Todd Cunningham and. Uh, He's on, you know, he's on your roster. He's he's able to fill those outfield spots, switch it. That's a nice deal. Yeah, it's not bad at all. I mean, you have to have, especially a team like the Braves, who does have financial limitations. You have to be able to keep cycling through um, cheap, replaceable bench pieces in order to go out and make a signing that potentially they need to to fill an outfield spot with. Uh, somebody that can keep them in playoff contention, um, you know, and and that's a real problem with the Braves right now is that they really don't have 
many position prospects who you could say, okay, this guy's going to be a big leaguer in some capacity. I mean, maybe you could talk about Evan Gaddis. Uh, you could talk about Cunningham. But beyond those two right now, maybe Tertus Slavich, but I'm, I'm not anywhere near sold on his ability to be a, a decent, even backup big leaguer. Um, but you're looking at guys who, uh, you're looking at an organization that has financial limitations, that is going to have to uh, make a decision about signing Hayward long-term. They're going to have to make a decision about Freddie Freeman long-term. Uh, Prado, uh, d- d- uh, if I'm correct, the decision is going to be made on him. And you know what? I would love to see them sign uh, Simmons to a big deal like right now. Mm-hmm. Like a Matt, Matt Moore deal, sign him tomorrow to a Matt Moore deal mm-hmm. or, or, or more. Um, you know, give the guy uh, uh, comfort for life and take that value as one of the best defensive shortstops with some offensive potential to the bank, you know. But they're going to have to make those decisions. And in order to make those decisions and to make the right decisions and not be pressured to uh, sell off valuable assets, they need guys who they can cycle in as cheap, replaceable bench players. Okay, let, let me ask you about another player you mentioned, um, because because where Todd Cunningham, um, for you, was sort of this this platonic ideal of the fourth outfielder, or at least so far as this list of eighteen corner outfielders is concerned, that's fine. Um, the uh, the other end of that spectrum, you named um, Houston Astros outfield prospect uh, Ariel Ovando. Okay. Yeah. Now, typically, I'll admit this to you. I'll admit this to the to the listeners. Typically, when I ask you about a player, I have an idea about him, at least something of an idea. I've you know I've thought about him once before. I've seen him on a leaderboard, etc. Ariel Vando, I literally, I literally had never. I not only had I, I had I, I didn't see his name ever until, um, or at least that I remember until I saw him on your list today. And even then, it's like you know you scroll through a name of eighteen. I'm not even sure if I remembered seeing his name on that list. So. So could you just introduce him to me, to the listener? Well, he's a uh, Latin American player, international free agent, one of the um, biggest signings of the last couple of years. I think he signed for $2 million. And that may have been, I don't remember off the top of my head if that was the same year that the Rangers went on the international spending spree and wound up spending three, three to $5 million on a couple guys. But for whatever reason, he was a bit overshadowed as a $2 million signing. Um, obviously, that's a lot of money. And he is now 18. And in his second year in short season baseball, he was in the Appalachian League this year. And he wound up being the 18% above league average, which is pretty good for, for an 18-year-old. Um, had a huge uh, Babbitt, uh, which... Um, really kept his numbers maybe superficially high. But then again, you're looking at a, a Latin American guy, a huge man. I mean, he is a he, – he's going to be a giant Are we guy. talking tall, thick, both? Yeah, I mean, we're talking about he's already 6'4", probably going to wind up 6'5", 6'6". He's lean now, but he has the wide shoulders and the frame where he's really going to fill out. I mean, uh, you could see him being a 230, 240-pound guy, guy at full physical maturity. And, you know, he's, he's a little bit plodding now. He's probably going to slow down, but he's a huge strider. Um, he's not particularly quick or explosive at this point, but that's very typical for these um, very 
big young kids who are still growing into their bodies, who are still um, figuring out how to, you know, their their bodies. I don't know if snapping into place is the right way to way to phrase it, but they're still just learning about themselves physically, and and their bodies are developing. So. Um, there are definitely some things to like there. I mean, the power could be huge. Um, he has obvious drawbacks. I mean, he swings and misses too much, which is, once again, typical of a lot of Latin American players. And then there are some questions, I guess, about his overall motor and motivation, which is also pretty typical of Latin American players. I mean, we've talked about this before with guys like Wilmer Flores. I mean, you, you come over to the United States, all of a sudden you are rich, when chances are you didn't have very much in your home country. And um, 16-, 17-, 18-year-old kids don't always handle that with the maturity of an adult man. Yeah, no, that's interesting you mentioned that. Both uh, Is this because of that? I mean, do you think, like, you know, the youngest you're really ever going to be given um, a decent contract in the United States is uh, is 18, right? I mean, that's that's the mm-hmm. youngest you're ever going to be because you got to, you know, finish high school, et cetera whereas uh, a Dominican player, it's going to happen at 16. And then I would just say, and this is, uh, I'm definitely overreaching my bounds uh, so far as, uh, um, I don't know what, I don't even know what field this would be, sociology or whatever. But in, in the United States, of course, even if you don't care about certain values, you know that they exist. Like you know, mm-hmm. for example, that in uh, among American baseball players, hustle is a virtue. You know that that's a virtue, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas like, and this is one thing I think is ignored sometimes, is just that the the virtues that are constructed by the place in which you live. And yeah. I, I, I have no I have no assertions to make about the Dominican in this in this light, but I can also guess that maybe the virtues are different. Well, for me it's almost like, you know, what does the money translate to? And, you know, two million dollars in the United States is obviously a lot of money. But two million dollars in the Dominican Republic is significantly more money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so it's almost like there are multiples, multiplying factors there. Like a, somebody with two million dollars in the Dominican Republic. I mean, when I lived in Florida, a lot of the retired teachers would move to the Dominican Republic because their pension of thirty-five or forty thousand dollars a year was literally living like kings with live-in maids on the beach in the Dominican. That sounds great. It does sound very good. It's something maybe we should plan. Have you been have, now? Have you been to the Dominican before? I have not. I've always wanted to go. It's, yeah. it's kind of funny when my wife and I were we had this thing before we started having kids about well maybe we wanted to just go live somewhere else outside of the United States for a while, and we were looking at the time we were living in Savannah, and we were checking out plane tickets. Like, what would it cost for us to travel from my wife to travel from Savannah to Atlanta for work? or from Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic, to Atlanta for work. And we were on this, like, House Hunters International kick, and we were loving all these Dominican houses on the on the beach, and we're just, you know, you're young, you have dreams, that's how it goes. Yeah, until you're and then, older. And then reality and, and, sets in. Right, exactly, they're all crushed, right? <laughs> then reality sets in. So, you know, at the time, it was like a plane ticket from Santo Domingo was less than a plane ticket from Savannah, and Savannah's like a 30-minute plane ride, and Santo Domingo's a few hours. So we'd always dreamed about, like, doing it, but we never actually did it. But it's always somewhere, you know, it's very high on my list of places to go if I could ever talk my life into leaving the kids for a week and actually go somewhere fun. Can you get, like, a, could like the dog babysit your kids? Oh, man. I don't know. Yeah. They, they probably do a better job than a lot of teenage babysitters, though. That's probably true. 
That's probably true. So so it's cheap to get there at least. Yeah. In any well, in any case, Santo Domingo sounds lovely. Um, uh, but what what we're saying is uh, this this all goes back to Ariel Ovando. I think it all yes, goes back to Ariel Ovando. Um, and the fact that he's still or he was still just 18 this year and and uh, mm-hmm. and I guess uh, well I guess one peculiar question I have about him maybe may the shortest answer possible but this is uh, he was assigning while uh, Ed Wade was still the GM there and um, of course he's not the GM there now that's that's Jeff Lunau I, I, do you have a sense that that is going to affect Avando in any way? Or his development in any way that the organization would view him. I'm certain, certain they could they would view him at least slightly differently than than the Ed Wade regime. Um, but is, it, is that his thing, or is he just so far? Um, he's at such a low level now in terms of the minor leagues that you're just like, okay, let him play. That's fine. Well, what winds up happening is that every organization needs a combination of guys with big ceilings and a guys with uh, and guys with big floors. The Astros have made a number of deals for guys with moderately high floors. Like, there's a good chance that Mark Krause is going to be a big leaguer of some capacity. Uh, last year they got Oberholzer, uh, Clemens. Wait, wait, can, you, can, they, can, we, can we just be, can, we, uh, can you just give us like a sentence for each of these guys? Like, Mark Krause is who? Okay. Mark Krause is an outfielder that they received from the uh, Diamondbacks mm-hmm. in the Chris Johnson deal. Um, power-hitting, left-handed corner outfielder. Okay. Uh, people compared him to Adam Dunn, but it's, that was kind of wildly inaccurate. Um, there's there's some things to, to like and to project as a big leaguer there, but not an impact one. Uh, Oberholzer is was uh, brought over from the Braves. He's kind of a swingman, number five starter type. Uh, Paul Clemens is probably a, a middle reliever. He was another Braves pitching prospect, one of those mid-level guys. Um, but they have signed, they have dealt for a number of those. You know, and, and they already have them on their uh, active roster. You know, good bench pieces, swing men. You know, and and they are developing a number of those guys as well because they certainly didn't have a ton of ceiling players in that organization prior to Lunau taking over. So now, you know, you sign, you draft Correa, you draft McCullers, uh, you mix in Ovando. Who's, sorry, who's, in who's McCullers? Uh, he's Lance McCullers Jr. He's uh, the older Lance McCullers' son. Okay. He was a early round pick uh, last year and wound up signing for well above slot. He signed, he signed for two million. So they brought some high ceiling guys into the organization. They have Ovando, who's another high ceiling guy that they can pair with some of those high floor guys. So I don't think there's really any pressure on Ovando right now. But then again, there are many organizations where. Um, a new regime comes in. They do like their guys. They do prefer their guys. You're probably going to see some turnover in the coaching staffs of the Astros organization at the minor league level. Uh, they've had staff turnover, obviously, with bringing Goldstein on and, and, and things like that. So um, they are going to have a period of change. But as far as Ovando goes, he, they paid him $2.6 million at some point. There's, he's not hurting anything by being allowed to develop at the, the minor league level. So uh, you, you just kind of let well enough alone. Okay, let, now let's look at the top of this list, and that is, uh, um, and, and this again is uh, is Mike Newman's uh, Newman's own list. Uh, this is the best corner outfielders of 2012, and at the top of that list is Yankees outfield prospect Tyler Austin, also known, uh, it, it appears, as Christopher Austin, uh, at least so far as our 
player linker is concerned. Is that right? Yes, definitely. Yeah. He's uh, you know the eighteen guys on that list. When I ran it through player linker, yeah, seventeen worked. One didn't, and that was Mr. Austin. That was Mr. Austin. Now Tyler Austin uh, looks like played um, quite a bit of. Well, he actually uh, spanned. It looks like at different times four different levels uh, during uh, during 2012. Spent most of that, at least two thirds of it, about in in a ball. Yes, that's uh, where I, I picked him up. That's where. You, yeah. Now, where did you see him? I saw him in Rome playing for the Charleston River Dogs. Okay, right, and and he showed uh, at that level, um, and this is the Sally League, right? Yeah, uh, he, he showed power, uh, 14 home runs in, in um, a little over 300 plate appearances, mm-hmm. and, and he also uh, stole 17 of, of 19 bases that he attempted to steal. Yeah. Uh, that sounds like a cool player, and he's a, of course he's number one on your list. Um, you... You like him, I think, because of the floor, maybe more than the ceiling, but maybe I'm misinterpreting that. There's definitely some ceiling there, uh, but I do like the floor. I mean, of everybody on that list, I'm the most confident that he's going to become a good big league hitter. And when I say good, I mean good. I don't mean impact. You know, I've seen Stanton when he passed through double A. I saw Jason Hayward when he was in low A. Uh, I saw Bryce Harper when he was in, in low A. And having seen, like, three impact corner outfield bats, I'm very comfortable saying Tyler Austin is not that. But that doesn't mean he can't be a quality big league player. Um, you know, he was a catcher. He moved to third base. He's sliding down the defensive spectrum. He, he may wind up in left field before it's all is said and done. And what that does is that limits value quite a bit because even if he's a 275, 280 hitter with 25 home runs, that is obviously much more valuable in a more premium defensive position. So there are some limitations there, but I'm most confident in his ability to hit long-term. Now, let me ask you, because this is something we've had to discuss before, and it seems to be relevant at the moment. Yankees prospects uh, are a little bit different than other sort of prospects, uh, just from the point of view that uh, the Yankees have the payroll uh, to field perhaps an entire team of of, uh, free agents. And, mm-hmm. and and even though I mean that's not necessarily the case now uh, because they have Robinson Cano on their roster they have Brett Gardner on their roster players that, that they've brought up within their system, um, but but we've also discussed the fact that a player um, who who would make a, a decent starter for another organization, um, especially you know like a, um, a second division type team. Mm-hmm. might not make sense for the Yankees, might not be part of the Yankees' future, uh, might be most part of the Yankees' future insofar as you know he would be packaged in a trade for uh, another more expensive player. It, does does that describe Tyler Austin, or, is, or does he have, um, do you think, does he have skills that the Yankees would at least investigate uh, so far as making their 25-man? Um. For me, it seems like the Yankees are heading into, I don't know if a period of consolidation is the right way to um, to describe it, but they do have some aging guys that they're paying a ton of money to. Uh, they do have some younger guys that are coming up for extensions that they're going to have to make decisions on, and you know some aging players that are winding down careers. So where maybe three, four years ago, a guy like Tyler Austin would have been great trade bait. 
this is not the Yankees, the, the same Yankees franchise that I, I, with the same strength that I perceived them to have three, four years ago. Um, so Tyler Austin fits for me now in kind of the same way that, that a, maybe Swisher is a little bit of high praise, but a guy like Swisher does. Like, you know, he hung around for a long time, became a Yankee that everybody loved uh, because he just went out and contributed in a number of ways on a daily basis. It wasn't flashy, it wasn't sexy, but he was there and producing. Um, Tyler Austin strikes me as that type of guy. The thing with Tyler Austin and any young prospect that the Yankees bring up is that the level of play needs to be high from minute one in a lot of cases, or the pressure starts to build. So in Tyler Austin's case, it's great to see that he's, you know, just turned uh, 21 and is already, you know, surfaced and, and had a couple of uh, bats in double-A, but he's pushing his clock forward, meaning that when he finally does arrive at the big league level, he has to be good quick. In, in some ways with the Yankees, I almost feel better when a guy comes up like Brett Gardner, who was 25-26 when he surfaced, because there was already a lot of minor league bats under his belt. There are a lot of plate appearances, and, and they were more prepared to be successful quickly, where Tyler Austin, I mean, he's got less than 1,000 professional plate appearances still. So do you, do you think that that could, even if even if he continues going through the, the low minors or low-ish minors at, at a somewhat decent clip, do you think that that might still set back his actual Major League debut um, you know, more towards that later date? No. Well, you know, that's tough because that's kind of what the Yankees did with Jesus Montero. I mean, he looked ready for the big leagues at 20. And to me, in some ways, I think he wound up being overripe at the AAA level before finally coming up. And I wonder even to this day if that kind of stagnated his development a little bit. But, you know, I, I just always worry about those young kids with these premier organizations that the pressure builds up very quickly if a guy struggles right out of the gate. And what you don't want to see with a um, – I don't know if I'd call Tyler Austin a premium prospect, but with a very good prospect, is that they come up and don't just are not just given the chance to play and work things out. You don't want a guy bouncing back up and down from AAA to the big leagues. You don't want um, cracks to develop in a player's confidence. Uh, kind of like the Dominic Brown situation in Philadelphia. Uh, he was a much higher regarded prospect than Tyler Austin, but. You know, to me, I think on some level, the bouncing around, the tinkering with his swing, I think that hurt him quite a bit to where he may never be the same player that he was once considered to be. Let me ask you a question. This is not a, this is not fair of me at all uh, because, um, you know, sometimes I do this. I say, have you seen this player? Maybe your answer is yes. Maybe your answer is no. If you have seen him, I'd like to talk about him briefly. If you haven't, um, then we can ignore it entirely. Have you seen uh, Adderlin Rodriguez, who I believe was in the Sally League? Oh, a year? bunch. You've yeah, seen bunch. Adderlin Rodriguez? Yeah, I mean, when I when I was still living in Savannah, he came up for a cup of coffee in 2010 mm-hmm. for the uh, Sally League playoffs, and I caught him there, and then I saw him a number of times in 2011. Well, let me tell you why I bring it up. Looking at the um, the leaderboards from this past year, 
for all of A-ball, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some regressed home run numbers here, regressed home run percentages. Uh, the, the top of this list for the league was Miguel Sano, or Sano. How do you say it? Okay. Sano? Um, gosh, your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, all right. Well, let's, uh, we'll say it both ways, and then it would be fair. Um, um, second was Austin. Okay, I mean, we know, so the point is we know Sano is a real live power prospect. Is he, is yeah. he without flaws? Not at all. Um, but it, I think everyone agrees that he's got venom in his bat. Would you say he has yeah. venom in his bat? Venom is fair. Yeah, okay, Venom. Right. Now, uh, second on that home run list, regressed home run list, for for that league or for Class A ball was Tyler Austin, the aforementioned Tyler Austin, mm-hmm. um, who um, who we know uh, you, you think uh, maybe not as highly of as certain other um, outfield, corner outfield prospects you've seen go through uh, the Sally League, but you still like him more than anyone else you saw uh, among corner outfielders this year. Yes. Okay. Third on that list, third on the home run list, with a very similar profile to Austin, I have to say, in offensively, a few uh, fewer walks, fewer strikeouts, uh, but the same home run rate is a player. Again, this is another one I never heard him before until I looked at this list. Uh, but if I, I'm thinking to myself, well, he profiles similarly to Austin, that's interesting, and also he's played at least some third base, that's mm-hmm. interesting. Also, I haven't really seen him on too many prospect lists of late, which makes him more interesting to me because, you know, I love – the more obscure, the better. Yes. Could you introduce and, me to and I'm sure that's always I'm sure that's always great for your uh, – you know, the playback rates as well. Oh, it's great for the play, for the page views. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's fantastic. The, uh, but so who is this guy? And is he really a third baseman? And I guess that's weird if he is because – the Mets already have at least like three, uh, potent, like sort of maybe not third base prospects, but who at least played third base of late. You know, Rodriguez was actually one of my favorite guys in 2010. I mean, he was a very, I mean, good prospect, great power potential, played baseball with what I considered to be like a pure joy. There was something very excitable about him that I really enjoyed watching. And he came out in 2011 and didn't strike me as the same guy. I think he started the season something like one for 30-something, and that's obviously going to wear quite heavily. So when you're spending the first month of the season hitting 150, you're looking up at, oh my gosh, this is going to be a really long season just right. to get back to respectability. Exactly right. That batting average is on, is on the scoreboard for the entire year. Yeah, and it didn't happen. I mean, I remember watching, looking at the scoreboard with Adeline Rodriguez, and he's hitting like 056. And I'm going, gosh, you look at that every single day. It's got to just be a kick in the groin every time you step to the plate and look at the scoreboard. And it showed. It showed on his person. And it showed in how he played. And I, I saw him a handful of times, and each time it was, you know, a strikeout. And, like, just these looks, like he was in pure pain. <laughs> and he struggled um, more than I expected him to. I mean, I, I've written previously about Adderline Rodriguez that uh, uh, heading into the 2011 season, he was the premier power prospect in the entire Mets organization and the only guy that I looked at as 
a middle-of-the-order bat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm on record for that going into 2011. Those are your words. Those were pretty much my words at the time. Yeah, I mean, that is Mike I, I really Newman saying that. that. Your name is yeah. next to those comments. I mean, it, yes. And, and I mean, he is one of my most viewed videos on YouTube. I mean, as far as Mets fans go, um, they love them to Myron Rodriguez. So at 19, he floundered in low A. But, you know, a lot of guys do. And the luster wore off. Um which happens so often with these young players that are playing at levels that they're young for. Well, 2012, he repeated the level. It was kind of a consolidation season. Uh, the walk rate came up. The batting average, the BABIP, was more realistic than the 247 he hit the year before. And it showed on the field. I mean, he, he you know, a 20-year-old hitting 25% better than league average in the South Atlantic League is pretty darn good. And then he moved up to high A and was still an above average hitter in uh, the, the the Florida State League, which is considered a very bad league for offense. So it was not a bad year for him at all, and and should probably have rebounded his prospect status more than it has. Mm-hmm. And I'm surprised that nobody talks about him because to me he he does look to be in better shape than he was when I first saw him. He's a guy who who um, is making improvements. And it, now, what do we know about the defense? Because this is a, this is like constantly a, a thing. It seems I don't know with these Mets prospects because there's because there's uh, Wilmer Flores, right, who started off as a shortstop, and and you know now there are questions about him at third base, serious questions. Um, there's also is it uh, I think you Jeffrey Marte is that who I'm thinking of? Yes, yes, Marte. Who's I mean roughly the same description, right? I think he, he hasn't had this, he didn't certainly have uh, Flores's offensive numbers this season, but there's still maybe something there. He's still quite young, et cetera, but maybe mm-hmm. not third base. What about Adeline Rodriguez? Is is he is he part of that same group or is he like maybe more legitimately a third baseman? Um. He was considered a horrendous infielder. Okay. Like, on Marte, I mean, Marte was challenging Jeter for the most errors in the history of the South Atlantic League and might have wound up beating it. I don't know. He was making an error every other night. Uh, Adeline Rodriguez was considered a very bad defensive third baseman. But then again, I saw improvements. Um, so... He, he is considered a third-base prospect for them. I don't think that when you're looking at um, Marte, who struggled, you're looking at Flores, who they have kind of have shifting around now, and I'm not sure they know where he's going to wind up playing, and you have Adelon Rodriguez. I don't think if you ask the Mets, they would say, yeah, we have a lot of third-base prospects. We are loaded there for the future. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. I, I, you know, and, and they are, I mean, the Mets have some interesting decisions coming up. I mean, they're talking about signing David Wright, which it seems like, you know, there's a gun to their head right now, uh, having to sign it, or, you know, there are going to be four people showing up at the park next year, and three of them, you know, probably Eno Saris and his friends, um, since he writes for Max Blogs and things like that. Yeah. But, um, it's, they're, they're kind of in a tough spot, you know. They're talking about trading Ike Davis to try and bring in a pitcher, um, there's a lot of rumors flying around that they're going to have to trade good pieces to bring back something decent. And uh, potentially you have some young guys there who could fill corner infield void, maybe one slides over to an outfield spot. 
I mean, you've got some corner options internally, and uh, I don't know if you could ask for much else. Yeah. You know what I couldn't ask for much more of is Mike Newman on this edition of the podcast because I think it would be unfair to you. It would, it would, it, what it would do, it, it might cause the hearts of our listeners to burst uh, from, owing to an excess of joy. But, but we didn't even talk about my nature experiences, Carson. Oh, what, do you got nature experiences? You love my nature experiences. Yeah, but mostly it's fascination because there's bugs and things like that. This is fascinating. Well, what is it? You guys, you got something? Okay. Well, I'm gonna you bite know, a we cracker, have three dogs. So, yeah. Yeah. You guys. We have dog. three dogs, yeah. and and we're always we we feed them meat. We don't feed them like dog food that you pick up at the store. We've we've been feeding them meat for a few years. Um, what does never that mean? Healthier. I don't understand. Like, where do you get it? Like we we used to go to a Mexican grocery store. Yeah. Uh, I think that's where I learned the Spanish that I was saying earlier. Yeah, they're right. The excellent Spanish. <laughs> and. Uh, you know, we'd pick up chicken parts and things like that, all the parts of um, um, meat that I don't normally eat, the kidneys, the hearts, things like that. But um, this year, with deer season in full swing, mm-hmm. I we were at this some kind of apple picking festival as a family, and there was this woman there wearing a very, like, orange shirt. Yeah. Like the kind of fluorescent orange shirt that, you'd see on the side of a road with criminals picking up trash. Well, or hunting. I mean, or, well, that's, that's, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah. Oh, hunting. Okay. okay I don't, and then yeah, I don't what know. happened is on the back, they had all these like crosses and then deer. And because I live in Georgia and everything's got to be mixed with crosses and stuff. So they have like, a bunch like, of like cross, like, 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 like religious symbols. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there are a bunch of religious symbols and mixed in the religious symbols is like deer processing. So I, I call the woman over and I say, well, I'm looking to source, you know, some, some meat for the winter and stuff like that. And she's like, oh, yeah, we, we break down a ton of deer and um, you can have the leftovers. We'll just give, give them to you. So I wind up calling this place and they go, oh, yeah, we'll have 700 pounds of deer carcasses ready for you on Tuesday. Just, just, uh, just the remains, not the, not the, good, not the venison. Not the good venison meat. No, yeah, we're talking okay. about rib cages and um, okay. lips and buttholes and all those different things. Yeah, that, uh, maybe the first time butthole has been ever mentioned. This is episode two seventy or something. Yeah. So, so what wound up happening is I went up. They they told me what to go purchase. So I mm-hmm. I picked up a a thirty five gallon barrel at Walmart. Yeah. And went out there to pick up this meat, and I had no idea that they were going to be dumping like carcasses into the bucket into the 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 container and stuff like that so i i drove them home and packed them up we bought a freezer and everything and packed them up in black garbage bags and have all my deer sitting in a freezer and every couple days i have to pull out a carcass into the driveway and get like a saw and cut through it and break it down no you need to use a saw yeah oh literally like a saw wow yeah, so so I am, like, breaking down these carcasses. And for Halloween, I told my wife, like, oh, man, let's leave carcasses, like, all over the yard. This would be awesome. Right, and you have very, very authentic. So, yeah, so we wound up breaking down this mean, and we have all this, I mean, hundreds of, we, we can have hundreds of pounds of free food, free dog food, essentially. This is free? Dog, all this food is free? Oh, yeah, it's free. They just give it. What they have to do is they have to dump it anyway. 
So it's it's almost like uh, they have to pay for the dumpsters to come pick it up. So, I mean, this just saves them money to give it away. Curious. So, All right. So we take it, and we're breaking them down every couple days, and I'm, yeah, taking my saw and hacking through deer. And uh, what wound up happening the other night is we went out into the yard, and I was doing some work out in the yard, and I was taking the old bones, and I was tossing them into the woods. Okay. And we have a yappy dog who who um, has a very loud, annoying, screechy bark. Okay. So she bothers us to go out in the middle of the night all the time. She's getting older, so we let her out. And my wife falls asleep on the couch while they're outside, yeah. hears a loud bark, Uh-oh. and goes outside Yeah. to realize that our dogs aren't barking out. Coyotes are barking in. Coyotes, or coy- some people call them coyotes. Coyotes, yes. Yeah. There were, so my wife is listening to one coyote mm-hmm. um, crunching on the bones that are out in the woods. Right. The other coyote is barking at our dogs to keep away from our dinner. And But they're on the other side of the fence. They are on the other side of the fence. And it's the second time in the last couple of weeks that, like, literally coyotes have come up to our fence. Wow. So a pretty interesting kind of nature story that I thought that you would enjoy. Hmm. I do enjoy it. That, now, that is uh, that is peculiar. you got these coyotes. Now, what is a coyote going to do? Is it, is it just a dog? It's a just a dog-looking dog? What is it? It's like a 30, 40-pound. It, it looks like a dog, more or less. But, yeah. you know, we have them in our woods back here. They, they attacked one of the neighbor's dogs one day. And they uh, we hear them in the spring and the fall. It's when they have their mating season. And it sounds like there are a thousand of them out in the woods. Oh, my. my it's like yeah. a party of... It's like a party at Sestouli's house on a Saturday night. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, the weeknights, it is a little bit more subdued, but not much. Yeah, not I figured much. as much. Not much, yeah. My profligate ways. That's what they always say about me. Carson Sestouli's profligate ways. That's what they say. Yes. Oh, God. That's, that's why we have to keep you away from the ladies when in Arizona. That's true. For their protection. Definitely for their protection. Uh-huh. Listen, I, Mike Newman, what have we done? What have we wrought? I think it was fun, actually. I had a okay. good time today. Do you want to uh, – here, let me – I'm going to give you a challenge. Do you have an interest in um, – in, you know, because sometimes I have to record the uh, introduction. Yes. Afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll say, like um, – I'll say, this is Carson – you know, that's Herb Alpert and Tijuana Brass. This is Carson Stooley. But I'll tell you what. Sometimes, it, sometimes it's a little bit um, – yeah, I don't know exactly what I want to say or whatever. So I was wondering, maybe you'd want to help me. We could do the introduction right now. I'll copy and paste this to the beginning of the show. Does that interest you at all? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so I'll say, like, I'm Carson Sestouli, and this is Mike Newman. You say, hi, I'm Mike Newman. Sure. Okay, all right, you ready? Yeah. I'm about to do it. We'll do a little silence, and then I'll introduce it. All right. That's Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli, and this is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is uh, a prospect analyst in the electronic pages of Fangraphs, uh, proprietor or co-proprietor of Scouting the Sally. His name is Mike Newman, and he's helping me do the introduction. Mike Newman, you're there. 
Yes, this is uh, Mike Newman. I'm here hanging out with Carson for an hour or so doing the Prospect Podcast, talking about prospects, obviously, along with our wives, which may get us in some trouble, and also my um, enjoyment in breaking down deer. Yeah, that's gross. Now, Mike, the, the one thing I'll tell uh, listeners sometimes is I'll say we talk about specific prospects and then also the issues which those prospects raise. In this case, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, we talk about, uh, I think, Braves outfielder Todd Cunningham, his his potential future, uh, Astros uh, outfield, outfield prospect Ariel Ovando, Yankees Thanks. outfield what, – what do you got? Yankees prospect uh, Tyler Austin. Oh yeah, sure. And then, and then, do you remember the fourth one? Another New York, pro- another New York prospect. Oh, and uh, Mets third base prospect Adderline Rodriguez. And that was a surprise. I surprised you with that one, and I think you quitted yourself nicely. Thank you very much. I appreciate. Uh, okay, that. all right. Well, this this is the end of the introduction. I'm about to in- introduce people to the show. That has been uh, that is Mike Newman. He, you're about to hear him a lot more of him. Believe me, uh, and uh, and. W- and he's going to talk about prospects. Uh, so that's how I say. This is Fangraph Sadio. That's Mike Newman. It's going to start. Uh, and it begins right now. Yeah, we did it. Yeah. So what's 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 actually happening for the listener now is they've already heard that. Do you see? This is just mm-hmm. the end of the podcast. Yes. So it's, it, they get it. Yeah, I do have a I do have a college degree in this stuff, you know. They get an ins. Oh, you yeah, you do. Yeah, you probably <laughs> should be in charge of this whole thing, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyways, hey, uh, listen, we'll stick around for some brief adult conversation. Not too yeah, adult. Sure, man. Uh, but uh, we'll say goodbye now. So t- thanks, uh, Mike Newman, for everything you just did. All right, bud. All right, that's that's Mike Newman, our prospect analyst. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio.